All right, this morning, if you'll stand with me as we read from God's Word. Pastor Bruce continues his series called The Invitation. This morning's message, again from Isaiah 55, we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. An invitation too urgent to delay. If you're using your pew Bible, you can find it on page 418. Again, Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David." Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, we are so grateful that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. God, may you just change us through your word. Mold our hearts, God, so that our thoughts and our hearts do become like yours. In Christ's name, amen. That's the invitation that God throws out to us in Isaiah 55. His invitation is to come to Him and let Him make beautiful things out of your life. You know, that's an invitation we all need, isn't it? Every one of us here is not above the invitation that God throws out in his word, Isaiah 55. We began this last Sunday, and we want to continue in this series today. It's simply called The Invitation, as we've already alluded to. And as we continue, uh, I want you to remember two numbers this morning. Can you remember two numbers with me? The first number I want you to remember is the number 86. You got 86 in your mind? 86. The second number I would like for you to remember is the number 11. All right, so 86 and 11. Do you have those numbers in your mind? Can you remember those numbers with me throughout the duration of the message? Now, you're probably already wondering, Bruce, why in the world do you want to remember the number 86 and the number 11? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll share why later on at the end of the sermon, okay? For those of you that have already added the two numbers, thinking, oh, that's the key, you're wrong. 97 has nothing to do with the invitation in Isaiah 55, all right? And for those of you that, oh, maybe I subtract 11 from 86, that's the key why he wants to, you're wrong too. 75 has nothing to do with God's invitation in Isaiah 55. You're like, well, who knows? Maybe I just want you to remember these two numbers to get your attention. 
just kidding, just kidding. But now that I have your attention, <laughs> let me just do a little review of what we learned about God's invitation last Sunday, last Easter. We saw that God invites everyone to come to Him. That is, God invites the thirsty, the frustrated, the bankrupt people to come to Him for three things, for water, milk, and wine. And those three things represent satisfaction in life that can only be found in God. In other words, God's invitation is for you to come and find satisfaction and salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, which He already prophesies about in Isaiah 53. And God says that these life-giving beverages are free to us because the price has already been paid by His Son, Jesus Christ. So now, the water and the milk and the wine of God's grace is free to all who come to Him in faith. And then God tells us that when we come to Him in faith, He makes this covenant with us. But it's not just any kind of covenant. It's not a covenant that He breaks. It's not a short-term covenant. It is an everlasting covenant, which basically means that the salvation that you will find in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is an everlasting salvation. It's for eternity. What a glorious invitation of satisfaction and salvation. It's really the invitation of come to God and let Him make something beautiful out of your life. Because who is here that does not need some transformation of the heart? A transformation of life. Listen, that's an invitation that's just too Good to refuse. But today we're going to see that God's invitation goes beyond that. It's also an invitation that is too urgent to delay. This invitation, Isaiah 55, notice it coming up on the screen and in your notes. It is an open invitation to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord. After God extends His invitation to come to Him, Isaiah, this prophet of God, and all a prophet is... A prophet is simply a spokesperson for God. God speaks to the prophet, the prophet speaks to God, and communicates God's message. So when Isaiah speaks, that's as if God is speaking. And so after God extends this invitation to Israel, and by application to all of us, Isaiah adds to it. He gives the word of God to us still more, and he adds his own exhortation to seek the Lord, in verse 6. It's the same invitation we find in 2 Chronicles 7.14 where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This is one of the most relevant invitations here in Isaiah 55. It's repeated throughout all the Bible. It's one of the most relevant invitations ever given by God. Every person here today has a need to seek the Lord. Listen, those of you who are believers, those who already know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've accepted the invitation, you've come to His Son by faith. Listen, we still have a need to seek the Lord continually to remain in the love of God according to Jude 21. And those of you who have yet to make that decision, you would be classified or considered an unbeliever because you have yet to cross the line of faith 
and put your faith in Jesus Christ and to know Him in a personal way. Listen, you have the need here this morning to seek the Lord decisively so that you may be saved according to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And so this is a universal need that every one of us has here this morning. And with that in mind, what I want to do is simply answer three questions. Three questions about seeking the Lord. And hopefully by the end of answering these three questions, it will motivate you to do just that. For all of us, including myself, to seek the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. Are you ready? Notice the first question. What does it mean? What does it mean to seek the Lord? Because I bet you, if I ask ten of you to come up here and answer that question and kind of say, if I were to ask, hey, what do you think it means to seek the Lord? And I go down the line, what do you think it means to seek the Lord? I bet we'd have about five or seven different answers to that. What do you think it means to seek the Lord? And we all have our, our opinions, we have our ideas of what we think it means to seek the Lord. In fact, in our country today, man, you get on chat rooms, get on the internet, talk to your coworkers, your neighbors, and talk about this. And they, some of them say, yeah, I seek the Lord. And they, you ask them, well, how do you seek the Lord? And you're like, whoa, I didn't know you could seek the Lord in that manner. And you ask them, they really think they're seeking the Lord. And so we all come here with our presuppositions, our opinions, our preferences of how to seek the Lord, what it means to seek the Lord, when we need to kind of set that aside for a moment, and we need to check out what God has to say about it. God has defined for us, has described for us, how he wants us as his creation to seek him. So it would be in our best interest to find out what he says, how to seek the Lord. Now before we find that out through the prophet Isaiah here, let me just say, or look at it here in verses 6 and 7, look what he writes. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, let him return to the Lord. Now, please understand when Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he, that is God may be found, he doesn't mean God is hiding. And we must now find him. Listen, don't think of this. God is not playing some divine, heavenly game of hide-and-seek with his creation. All right? That is not what this means. That is not the idea here. God is not hiding. We learned last Sunday that God, in his nature and his character towards us as his creation, he is inviting He's not hiding, and now he makes himself available to those who will seek him. So what does it mean? To seek the Lord. It has the idea of deliberately moving or stepping towards someone. In this case, this is the Lord. So it's the idea, I'm here, God's over there, and now I'm going to intentionally, deliberately, I'm going to step and move towards him. I'm going to seek him. While he can be found, while he is near. It's the idea to stop dwaddling around and instead come with diligence to the Lord. Why? Because we have a need to do so, as we'll find out here in a moment. So what does this mean in practical terms? Well, Isaiah uses three words to explain what it means to seek the Lord. You may have caught those three words in verses 6 and 7. The three words are, he says, call, he says, forsake, and he says, return. There are the three verbs in those ver- verses. Call, forsake, and return. 
So what does that mean exactly? Let's look at it briefly. First, seeking the Lord means calling to God in need. It means calling to God in need. If you want to seek the Lord this morning during our response time at the end of the message, or maybe tonight as you go to bed, you lay your head down on the bed, the lights are out, and your mind begins to wander and it begins to meditate even on what we're hearing right now from God. And if you want to seek the Lord, the first thing you have to do is to call out to God in need. It's what David did when he writes in Psalm 86, 7, in the day of my trouble, he writes, I call upon you, Lord, for you answer me. The religious word for calling to God is, we kind of call it pray. But many people feel they can't pray. They don't know how to pray. I don't have enough Bible knowledge to pray. I haven't been a Christian long enough to pray. I've never been taught to pray. And so the idea of praying to God scares the living daylights out of you. I can't do that. I don't qualify. And so the word pray throws up all kinds of obstacles for some of us here this morning in seeking the Lord. Well, pray is not used here. Isaiah doesn't use the word pray. Isaiah uses the word call, and that is part of our everyday language. Every one of us here knows how to call out for help, to call in need, because we are in need. We all know how to call a friend on the phone or text a friend on the phone. We all know how to call 911 and ask for help because we're in an emergency situation. We all know at a restaurant how to call the waiter or waitress over. Hey, can you please refill my tea? So this idea of call, we are familiar with that. Every one of us knows how to do that. And in the same way, the first thing we do to seek the Lord is to call out to him. We might say something like this, oh, God, help me. How many have not said that in their minds before? When I say, God, if you're really there, show me. Or, God, I need you. Forgive me now and save me. Please save me, Lord. We might say something like, Father, man, I'm in this situation. I don't have a clue what to do. Father, I need your guidance. Please show me the way. It, it, it's, it's all of these. It's, it, it's a variety of things. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar to call God. But, folks, listen to me. You do have to admit your need. I'm in a place of need in my life. In my place of trying to meet that need, I've come up empty. And so now I'm going to turn to my Creator. And I'm going to call to Him in my need. I'm going to seek Him. So we come to the Lord as we are. In our need. Even in our sinfulness. But please understand, we don't stay as we are when we come to God. Which brings us to Isaiah's second word, forsake. Seeking the Lord means forsaking sin and repentance. In other words, we must leave some things behind if we want to seek the Lord. And in this context, Isaiah calls the wicked to forsake his way and the unrighteous to forsake his thoughts. Now, the word way just is the idea of your lifestyle, your way of living, how you do life. The thoughts, we understand that. It's how we think. It's our worldview. Just our whole mindset of thinking about reality, about God, about myself. All right? And Isaiah calls the wicked to forsake his way of living, his conduct, his character, and the unrighteous to forsake his thoughts, his attitude, his thinking. And the only reason we want to hold on to 
our ways, our thoughts, is that we think my way, my thoughts of how to live life on this earth is what will give me satisfaction because that's what I want in life. We all do. We learned that last Sunday. And so we hold on to our ways, my way, my thoughts, whether it comes to finances, whether it comes to relationships, marriage, working, you name it. How you cope with life, you have a way about it. You have a thought about it. And we hold on to that, even in our desperate need that doesn't work because we think in the end it's going to help us. Somehow it will change, even though I keep doing the same thing over again and getting the same results, which is called insanity, by the way. And God says, forsake it. Leave it behind. Listen, the only reason we're thirsty to begin with, that we have this craving within us, is because of our sinful ways and thoughts. We're trying to satisfy that thirst in a wrong way, and it's a way that leads to death, not life. So Isaiah says, forsake your sinful thoughts. Forsake your sinful ways in repentance. Why? Because you can't seek the Lord and practice sin at the same time. Now, please hear this. The Lord will not be found in sin. He may be found at the end of your sin when you acknowledge that your way is leading you to destruction and His way leads to satisfaction and salvation. In other words, you've come to the end of your rope. I'm in need. I call out to God. And as I come to Him, I'm not dragging all my baggage with me. I'm forsaking it. I'm leaving it behind. And there's a process in that, and we don't have time to get into all that. But you get the gist of what Isaiah is saying. So if you take seriously the positive side of seeking the Lord, then you have to take seriously the negative side of forsaking behaviors and thoughts that offend the Lord. If you call out to God, I need you, Lord, help me, one of the first things that will happen in answer to your prayer is that God will awaken within your soul, within your conscience, things in your life, like your thinking and like your ways, that need to be forsaken. And if you refuse to forsake what God condemns, then you cease to seek God. And your words become empty and meaningless. This is what Isaiah actually accuses the children of Israel, the people of God at that time, of doing three chapters later in Isaiah 58, after giving them this invitation. It would be like a man who leaves his wife, moves into an apartment, has an ongoing sexual affair with a woman, and then gets on the phone and calls his wife in need and seeks his wife out, and she says, have you forsaken this woman yet? And he says, no. I'm not sure if I really want to yet. And she then will rightfully say, then you are not seeking me. Your call is empty. Your call is meaningless. It's without merit. You will seek me and find me as your wife when you forsake her and all other women for me alone, just like you have vowed. You get the idea. So seeking the Lord means forsaking thoughts and ways that are displeasing to the Lord, dishonoring to Him. Why? Because you can't seek the Lord where He is not found, and He's not found in sin. Yes, He is found at the end of our sin, at the end of our rope, when we acknowledge, I have a need, I need your help, Lord. I come to you for what you have to offer to me. Which brings us to number three, seeking the Lord means then turning to God in faith. 
turning to the Lord in faith. These are just Old Testament terms for repentance and faith. We must turn to God. Why? Because we cannot earn our own forgiveness of our sins. It's only by faith in what the Lord has done for us that our sins can be forgiven. And perhaps you're here and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've known the Lord for many years, but your heart, if you were honest, you would say, man, my heart is not close to the Lord. It is far from God in my walk with Him. Listen, this, this works the same way. Forsake your sin, and even Isaiah uses the word return to God, implying that you once had fellowship with God, that you have a relationship with God. Return to Him now. Leave what anchors your heart to the emptiness of this world and return to God. Now, let me just stop for a moment. And let's pause here. And I want to throw out a question. I want to ask all of us a question. It's a question in your notes coming up on the screen. And that question is this. What's holding you back? What, right now, what's keeping you from seeking the Lord? What's holding you back from calling to Him in need forsaking your sin and turning to Him in faith. What is holding you back? I, I, I think a big issue for many people is, is they have in their mind, they wonder, well, what kind of reception am I going to get if I come to God? Reminds me of the story in chapter, Luke chapter 15, one of the New Testament Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And in Luke chapter 15, you have the story of what is often referred to as the prodigal son. How many have heard of the prodigal son before? You're familiar with the concept. The prodigal son kind of wondered the same thing. You remember perhaps this guy, the son who, who took his father's inheritance and he went off and he lived like a fool, far from home, far from his father. And although the son had walked away from his father, let me tell you, the father never stopped looking for his son. And when the son finally comes to his senses, He wanted to return to his father, but he wondered in his mind, man, how's my dad going to receive me? What kind of reception am I going to get when I come back home to my dad? I don't want to live in the pigsty anymore. I've spent all my money. It hasn't brought me any satisfaction. I've got no satisfaction. I have found no salvation. Uh, What I left was foolish. But wow, am I going to be received? Perhaps you can relate to this runaway son. And maybe you're wondering for yourself here this morning, man, what kind of response am I going to get if I return to God? So how does God respond? Well, this runaway son never would have thought what his father did next. When the father saw his son coming down the road, he got up and he ran toward his son. This is the only time in the Bible that God is pictured as running. The father in the story is a picture of God. The son is a picture of us. The father didn't just wait for his son. When he saw his son coming down the road, he got up and ran toward him. And he ran and threw his arms around him and kissed him, according to Luke 15, verse 20. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but when I read that story of the prodigal son, that is an invitation that's too good to refuse. Listen, when we are convicted of our sin and we sense our need to return to the Lord, we don't have to wonder, gee, what kind of reception am I going to get if I come to God? 
Listen, long ago, over 2,700 years ago, Isaiah the prophet here recorded what you can expect today if you come to God. What you're going to get from Him when you turn to Him. It says in the very last part of verse 7, look at it, and He will have mercy on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Which brings us to our second question. Why then should we seek the Lord? Why should I seek the Lord? Why should you seek the Lord? Because, listen, here's why. Because if and when you seek the Lord, here's what you will find. You will find, Isaiah says, abundant pardon, not harsh punishment. What a phenomenal promise every time we forsake our sin and turn to God in faith. We find pardon abundantly, not punishment from God. God's pardon is available to every one of us here this morning. And don't miss the emphasis on that word abundantly, Isaiah says in verse 7. In other words, God wants you to know that this is what He loves to do most. His heart overflows to pardon. He rejoices in forgiving. Listen to how the prophet Micah describes God. In Micah 7, 18, he says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Woo! Folks, do you, do you, do you get, are you getting the picture here? God loves to show mercy to those who seek him diligently. And therefore, he shows it abundantly. You ask, but, oh man, how can that be, Bruce? How is this possible? Listen, it's possible because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for my sin, your sin with his death and resurrection. And that's why now we can find forgiveness. We can find pardon when we come to God the Father. Now, if this kind of forgiveness from God kind of, well, let's be honest, kind of blows your mind, it's supposed to. In fact, according to Isaiah, God's forgiveness, get this, it's inconceivable and it's immeasurable. Did you notice what Isaiah writes about in verses 8 and 9? Look at it. Look what it says in verses 8 and 9. Is he, Isaiah, this is God talking now. God says, hey, listen to me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, if you've always kind of thought or believed that this passage teaches that God is, well, he's not like me. He's not like us. He's he's much bigger than me, much bigger than his creation. Well, you're correct. That is true, okay? But let me tell you something. These verses, there's a much bigger point that God is making in these verses about that. God, what he's doing here in verses 8 and 9, he is making a stark contrast, listen to me here, a very stark contrast between his thoughts and his ways versus our thoughts in our ways. He's making a contrast. And let me tell you, God's thoughts and God's ways, my thoughts, my ways, they are radically different. 
Have you figured that out? Radically different. You say, well, how different? Well, notice two differences. Let me just show you this. First, God's holiness is far greater than we ever imagined. God emphatically states, and it's emphatic in how he puts it, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. In other words, what God is trying to get us to understand here is God is saying God is holy and I'm not. And the gap between God's holiness and me, let me tell you, that gap, it isn't even close. In fact, the gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness, let me tell you, it is miles apart. And you're like, how far apart? How many miles apart is the gap between God's holiness and my personal sinfulness? How far apart? God says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth. Now, I should have Googled this and actually looked it up to tell you exactly how many miles apart that is. The idea that Isaiah is making is it's immeasurable. That's how far apart we are here. This is why Isaiah says back in verse 7, using the same two words, he says, let the wicked forsake his what? Way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts... Why? Because those thoughts, those ways, are radically far apart from God's ways and God's thoughts. And now God is saying, listen, you need to forsake your way of living, of how you think life works in this world, and your thinking, and you need to return to me. Come over here to my thinking, my way of living. Listen, I created you. I know how this life works. I know what I offer you. Forsake it. Listen, you think it's going to buy you satisfaction. You think it's going to bring you what you want, but you're coming up empty. Why do you keep chasing that? Which means my sinfulness is far worse than I ever imagined as well. Folks, listen to me. It's only when we come to the conclusion about God's holiness and my sinfulness that we will seek the Lord and seek his forgiveness. And can I share this? Isaiah knows what he's talking about here. Because this prophet Isaiah, he experienced this firsthand for himself. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and read the story in Isaiah 6, you know what happened to Isaiah? God kind of ushered him in through a vision. And God allowed this prophet Isaiah to see God in his holiness, sitting on a throne in heaven, where the angels, and then he heard the angels crying out, the seraphim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah sees the holiness of God, and then he looks at himself, and his response is, in verse 5 of Isaiah 6, woe is Me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. So now when he writes Isaiah 55, he is a man of experience. He knows what he's talking about here. 
And here's the glorious thing. When he saw that and when he admitted his need, woe is me. He recognizes his own sinfulness in light of God's holiness. You know what God did? God pardons his sin. God brings a hot coal to symbolize the cleansing of his life. Sticks it on his tongue. You're forgiven. And then Isaiah says to God, hey, here am I. Send me. Use me, Lord. I've experienced your invitation personally firsthand. I've experienced your salvation, your satisfaction. Send me out. Let me spread the word. It's a wonderful thing. I encourage you to read it. And God loves to do the same thing. He wants to do that for us. And so the first difference we see is God's holiness is far greater than we ever imagined. And by implication means my sinfulness is far worse than I ever imagined. And this leads us to the second contrast, number two. God's forgiveness is far better than we ever imagined. Please know that God wants people. Get this. He, he literally wants people like me, people like you, with wicked ways to come to him. I'm like, God, are you sure about that? Why? Why would you want that? Because, listen, I get irritated when people come to me to have problems. Right? Oh, am I not allowed to say that? God's not like that. God wants people with unrighteous thoughts to come to him. And the thought that you're sitting there and you're thinking, not me, man, I'm too bad. You don't know my past, Bruce. You don't know the sin of my life. Listen, that thought is, get that out of your mind, because that's not from God. God's thoughts are higher, and one of those thoughts is, is to have mercy on sinful people who seek him for forgiveness. God is, he's like saying, listen, let's get something straight right now between you and me. When you think about forgiveness, your thoughts are so different than mine. When people sin against you, your way of handling it is so completely different than the way I handle it when people sin against me. And you're asking, well, just how different then are my thoughts than God's thoughts on the subject of forgiveness? Well, they're polar opposites. Let's just be honest about it. They are. Here's how we measure forgiveness. First of all, we think about who we should forgive. Well, let's see. This person did this to me. I don't know if I can forgive her. We measure the person's value to us, whether we like them or don't like them. Uh, we question if they are worthy of our forgiveness, and then we decide if we'll forgive them or not. We, we think about how much to forgive. We say to some things on our list, no problem, I can forgive that. Oh, you forgot to do that. No big deal. I'll forgive you. But sometimes we put our foot down and we say, listen, that's a big thing in my life. No way. No way I'm forgiving that. You're on my doghouse, you're on my grudge list. And third, we think about how often to forgive. You've heard the same, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We're like, nobody's going to do that to me twice. You're not getting away with that again on me. No way. Let's just be honest. We measure forgiveness with precision and with puny capacity. Makes you wonder if God just shakes his head at us. And he says, listen, your thoughts are so lame and your ways are so little. Look at me and get the big picture of forgiveness. You say, how big? The cross, Jesus Christ, it's that big. He gave his son, Jesus, to die for you. That's how big his forgiveness is. That's how different his forgiveness is than our forgiveness 
We can't conceive God's boundaries on forgiveness, can we? They're so much bigger and different than ours. I love what the old pastor Charles Spurgeon said, great pastor in London, England. He said, God's forgiveness is abundant because it wells up from an infinity deep fountain. From an infinitely, I'm sorry, infinitely deep fountain. Our sins may pile as high as the tallest mountains, but Jesus' blood, like Noah's flood, drowns them all. And perhaps you're still thinking, oh, God could never forgive me, Bruce. I just don't know about it. If I ever brought my sin before the Lord, he would turn his back on me. Listen, you are so wrong. God can forgive everything you've ever done because of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 53. His level of grace and forgiveness is beyond our comprehension. There's one last question I want to answer this morning. And that's when. When to seek the Lord. Go back and look at what it says in verse 6. Look at it with me, verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Folks, it's crystal clear. The window of opportunity is now. Seek the Lord now while he may be found, and while he is near. Don't miss the urgency in God's invitation this morning. Isaiah says, seek the Lord now, while he may be found. Call upon him today, while he is near. The Apostle Paul says the same thing later on in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, he writes, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you know what this means? It means this invitation that God throws out to you. Listen, it's too urgent to delay. Don't wait. Because one day, it will be too late to respond to this invitation. So I have one other question. But this time, it's a question I cannot answer for you. It's a question only you can answer for yourself. And that question is in your notes, the bottom of your notes, coming up on the screen. Will you respond to God's invitation today, now? Everyone here needs to seek the Lord. Believers need to seek Him. Unbelievers need to seek Him. And the question is, will you seek the Lord today? Now, as we close... Some of you are still wondering, Bruce, you haven't talked about the two numbers. And it's driving me nuts. I cannot leave here without knowing. Why do you want me to remember these two numbers? So let's come back to our two numbers. What was the first number I asked you to remember? Hey, pretty good. 86. Listen to this. According to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, 86 is a slang term used in our American culture today as a verb meaning to throw out, or to get rid of. In the food service industry, 86 is restaurant jargon to describe an item no longer available on the menu. For example, the cook might say, hey, the garlic mashed potatoes are 86th. Or he might say, hey, we need the 86th the garlic mashed potatoes. Why? Because they're out. We've run out. They're no, the garlic mashed potatoes are 86, meaning they're no longer available on the menu. We cannot serve them to our customers when they order them. 
So here's the point. Listen, you ready? God is not 86. He still makes himself available. So seek him while he may be found and while he is near. God is not 86. But it is the 11th hour. And that's the second number I wanted you to remember. Time is running out. Jesus could return any day. And the window of opportunity will be over. It will be shut and closed. So seek the Lord now while there's still time. While there's still opportunity. While He still may be found. While He is still near. So remember these two numbers. What are they? First number, 86. Second number, 11. God is not 86, but it is the 11th hour. God is still here. And He's here with an invitation of mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But it's the 11th hour, so respond now before it's too late. In the words of Isaiah, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. With your heads bowed and our eyes closed. This part of the service is our response time. All that simply means it's time to respond to God. It's a time for you personally to come to God, to seek Him, to cry out to Him in need, and to admit your need, and ask for His help, either for the first time, or if you already know Him, to cry out for help the second, the third, and ask for His forgiveness all over again. So will you respond to God's invitation of forgiveness today? Listen, God's forgiveness is not yours simply because He has offered it. It must be received. You must accept it. And perhaps you've never made the choice to claim God's forgiveness for your sins. But you know, hey, man, God is speaking to me. He's pricking my heart. Let me exhort you. Come to him while he still may be found, while he is near. You say, I don't know what to pray. There's a a simple prayer you can use to express your heart's desire at the bottom of your notes. Listen, I encourage you to pray that to God. Use your own words if you want to, but God knows your heart. You're coming to him, and you want his forgiveness for your sins. You want to know him personally. You want to have the satisfaction and salvation that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can make that decision this morning. You can respond. For those of you that already know Christ, we need to seek him this morning. Perhaps there's unconfessed sin that's dogging your life. His offer goes out to you as well. Will you do business with God? Will you receive his forgiveness? Will you seek him? While Zach sings, this is our moment to respond.